probably can already tell, I have a very bad cold. I'm trusting that my voice is going to hold up. But I don't know what you were anticipating when you came this morning. We've already looked at part of the Christmas story. Joseph, Mary, Jesus. And uh, Gary was bouncing around on it a little bit. This morning we're going to look at a group of people that made their appearance at the birth of Christ. So join with me this morning in a stable with men at least like profession to see a king and yet most honored of all Christ's creators and seekers. Turn to Luke chapter 2. A very familiar passage of scripture, very common to read this passage of scripture at Christmas time. It's very uh, probable that you'll even see it. Verses like this flashing around in, in the media and in sales and, and retail. Do they really know what they're talking about? Turn to Luke chapter 2. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 20. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenus was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one in his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill, men. It came to pass, as the angels were gone away from the men into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen it was as it was told unto them. Imagine with me this morning shepherds watching over the sheep sitting out on a hillside standing, lounging, laying, whatever you want to picture. This was their job. 
This was their routine. This was their life. This was their passion. This is how they put bread and butter on their table. It was very likely that the sheep that they were raising were destined for sacrifice at the temple in Jerusalem. Bethlehem was just eight miles south of Jerusalem. So in that society, shepherds were looked down on. They were poor, and they also didn't carry with themselves a very good name. Some of it had to do with their representation. Um, they were known to wander, maybe trespass. Um, so it, it, they were looked down on. If there was a word from the shepherd, if, if, if something was said, and they would say, well, who said that? And they would say, a shepherd said that. It wouldn't mean anything. They wouldn't, they wouldn't hold it. It didn't carry any weight. Shepherds also didn't have a chance to even testify in court. If there was a matter at law, they didn't even get an opportunity to testify. Someone has said that first century shepherds lived in a world that made it hard and made living hard. They struggled and scraped along at minimum wages. In fact, someone described the first century this way. Taxes were high. Wages were low. Hypocrisy was rampant. Honesty was rare. Freedom was gone. The Roman occupation was hard. The rich were getting richer and the poor were always struggling. Morality was ebbing. Rebellion was brewing. And cruelty was reigning. And this leads me to my question. Why would God use the shepherds to bring his message. And I have some lessons that I'd like to look at from the shepherds and how they responded when the angels came with the message to them. First one that we see, their response, there in Luke 2, verse 9. They were sore afraid. Would you have been afraid? I'm sure I would have been. This was unusual. What were their thoughts of God? Could the shepherds have had a wrong idea of God? There were all these laws that they had to follow, all these different ceremonial things that had to be done. Did they look at God as a master, one that was hard to please? Well, I like to think that the shepherds, deep down in their heart, they were seeking. Because they were working in a vocation that was evident. God could have been made evident through different things. Weather events, working with animals, especially sheep even. I understand I have no experience working with sheep, but I understand sheep are strange creatures. So 
So we have the shepherds. They're out there on the hill. All of a sudden, there's this glory that comes around them. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of glory. I think of a bright light, something just all darkness being gone. Um, but this, this, this was different. This was, I mean, I'm sure they they were probably covering their eyes and shading and trying to see because um, this was a switch, and they were so afraid. And this Greek uh, word "afraid" or the word "afraid" that is used here in in Luke, the Greek word is uh, "phobos," if I'm saying it right, and that means fear and terror. It carries a very heavy meaning of fear. And uh, it carries a meaning. We get other words from that same word, such as hydrophobia. You're afraid of water. Uh, arachnophobia. Afraid of spiders. Claustrophobia. You're afraid of tight spaces. And there's lots. There's a whole list of other words that have the suffix of phobia. So as I was thinking about this bright light shining down on them and making them so afraid. I had an experience one time, not real long ago. It had to do with a lightning strike. <clears throat> if you want something to get your attention, have a bolt of lightning strike you or strike real close to you. Maybe some of you have had that happen already. But it, it uh it was bright. It was. I was in my house. I was sitting on my chair, and I heard a distant thunder. And I thought, "Oh, I didn't know it was supposed to rain." So I pulled up the weather. Only twenty percent chance of rain. Really, I hear thunder. So I get up out of my chair. I go to my office and I hit the light switch. And just as I hit the light switch. I mean, I literally almost fell to the floor. And everywhere around me was flashed. I mean, that blue light that comes with lightning. I saw it on my office window. It, ca it, it came in through the front window. Everywhere it was just blue. And it's one of those strikes that there's no, you know, you see a strike and then maybe a few seconds later there's thunder. This was everything all at once. I mean, it was just sizzle, sizzle, bang. And then my everything went black. We were plunged into darkness. And there was probably one second of silence. And then there was a great wail. <laughs> Nobody knew what happened. To this day, my two youngest still look in my office. There's a little bit of the spackling that's coming off the ceiling. And they think that happened because of the lightning. <laughs> So every once in a while they'll talk about a big bang and they'll look in there and they'll look at the ceiling. But this was different. There was this glory. You know, whether it was as fast as lightning, I don't know, but there was this glory that came around them, shone on them, and then there was the angels that said, fear not. And I thought, okay, what if that lightning strike would have done that? And then all of a sudden an angel said, fear not. How would have I felt?
just a side note to that. The next day, I felt like someone had beat me up. That lightning strike was so close that when I had reached out to turn the light switch on, I'm not sure if I got a load from the light switch or if I got the penetration from my feet being on the concrete, but it just my whole body felt like just somebody had beat me up from all the voltage that had come from that lightning strike. And where it had, stru had struck was just outside our house there at the first power pole. And uh, literally uh, blew pieces of it uh, out into the field and stuff. So we knew that it struck there. And we could smell burning wood. So anyway, getting back to our uh, shepherds here. The angel said, fear not. That's a big difference. It got their attention, though. Has God ever captivated you? Has God ever had to take a lightning strike to get your attention? Just imagine with me a symphony, a symphony maybe like Handel's Messiah, giving a program to a group of maintenance men. That's about what this would have looked like. The heavenly choir, I don't, we don't, we're not told how many shepherds there were, but there was more than one. And they were giving a choir to them. This was not a big crowd. This was not a sold-out event. That had to be beautiful. The other thing I thought of too in relation to that is you know, my understanding is shepherds were very good with musical instruments. They had lots of time to practice when they were out in the fields watching their sheep chew grass and eat and sleep. and So they were good at musical instruments. What comes to your mind when you think of a shepherd and musical instruments? Obviously David. And we have the Psalms. Thinking of fear, how the shepherds were so afraid. What should fear have in our response to the Christian message? We need to have respect and reverence for the message of God. We realize the holiness of God and the sinfulness of mankind. Man has nothing in himself that could ever pay the price that Jesus paid by coming to this world, taking on that form of man and walking in our shoes so that you and I can have freedom from the price that sin demands. <coughs> Another response that the shepherds had was interest. Look at verse 15. It came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. There was interest. Could have the shepherds have experienced Jesus Christ without this response? 
yeah, this all happened, but then it all ended, and they didn't have any interest, would have they been able to experience Jesus Christ? I would have to say no. How can we do? How can we demonstrate a response of interest when the message of Jesus Christ comes, the Savior of the world, into my life? My interests will change. Does the message of the Savior coming into the world stir you to be interested in Him? When my interest changes, that will affect my response, and I will want to fall, and I will want to go find Him. Another response that the shepherds had. That was the response of urgency. Look at verse 16. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. When a person sees the answer to their need, they cannot move fast enough to respond. In Luke 19.6, later on in Jesus' life, there's a response of a man, a very familiar story. His name is Zacchaeus. And this is the response of him when Jesus came and Zacchaeus was there in the tree. In Luke 19.6, and he said, And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Once he was, once that need was exposed, and once that interest was uh, stimulated, there was urgency, there was haste made. Another one is blind Bartimaeus in Mark chapter ten. I don't have to turn there, but Mark chapter ten verses forty-six. <coughs> And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of the people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timotheus, sat by the highway, highway side begging. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and to say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called and they called the blind man saying unto him be of good comfort rise he calleth thee and he and he casting away his garments rose and came to Jesus the message of Jesus is urgent 2 Corinthians 6 2 speaks of today is the day of salvation do you sense that urgency you are not guaranteed tomorrow you're not guaranteed an hour from now you're not guaranteed next year but it's only by the grace of God that we are given the time, the days, the hours the weeks, the years that we have and we are reminded of that 
of the young boy Tyler. Message of Jesus is urgent. Another response of the shepherds that I have is they shared. The response of sharing. Look at verse 17. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. This group of shepherds, however many it was, could not keep quiet. There was good news. You know, had they been sitting there, I, I don't know, I guess I'll just be humble and admit what, what comes to my mind. I, I envision these shepherds sitting there out on the hills. It's dark, it's night. They have a little campfire going, and they're talking about their day. And then maybe, this is what came to my mind, maybe they were sitting there or they were contemplating, I have a feeling maybe they knew some of the law, some of the prophecy maybe. Maybe they were having a, a good discussion, a deep discussion. wonder what they're talking about, um, the Messiah. What do they mean? I mean, you know, God had been silent for what, 400 some years, and all of a sudden things are starting to happen here. Um, you know, had they had any clue? Um, that that's just that was my thoughts, but it didn't stop with just a baby in a manger. They went back, they went back out in the hills. They didn't choose to be mutely little shepherds again and not say anything. They told it abroad. Matthew. Chapter 28, verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. There's Jesus' words to his disciples when he was leaving. Great Commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. We need to make disciples. We need to tell others about Jesus. We are not going to be able to change everyone, but we certainly can tell everyone about Jesus. It is good news. Do we share that good news with our neighbors? Do our neighbors know that we have good news? People we work with, do they know that? This season, I have to admit with Mark that there's lots of extra activity that go with Christmas. But um, I have to give credit to my wife for this. Um, she's been making an effort at going to the neighbors and giving them a tasty coffee cake. And I think that's a nice gesture of showing your neighbors that you care for them. And I know each of you have different ways of reaching out to your neighbors and encouraging them and showing that you care for them. But my encouragement to you is keep doing it. And don't only do it at Christmas time. Do it other times of the year as well. Even when there's times of difficulty, um, a loss of loved one, loss of something significant, um, there's, there's ways that, that you can share the good news of Christ with them through certain circumstances.
reach out, show them that you care. Let's not get so busy with all the activities that we forget the real reason why we do this. Could have it been, and this was just a thought I had, could have it been that those shepherds, you know, Jesus came, the message came that Jesus was born to the shepherds. Could have it been that the activities there in that day were so busy, the high priests, the religious leaders that should have known, knew how it was going to be. But here were the shepherds. Their hearts were just right. They were ready to receive this message. And God knew that. How are our hearts? Are our hearts ready to receive that message? Are we so busy? Do we know how it's going to be? responded and I'm I'm guaranteed that these shepherds that day were a new kind of shepherds they were a first century shepherd that had the message of Christ given to them and they had a message then that message also came to the wise men and the part that I I guess I I thought of between the shepherds being maybe the outcast, the low society, and the wise men being more the intelligent, intellectual people. Um, like was said in our Sunday school, the message of, of Christ is for everyone. Doesn't matter if you're a farmer or a professor at college. The message is the same for each one of us. Doesn't matter what it is. Another response is found in verse 20. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all these things that they had heard and seen and it was told unto them. They responded with worship. The net effect the sum of all their responses leads to this response and that is worship. When we hear, we fear. And then we develop an interest and we respond with urgency and then we share that with others. And that repeat will repeat itself and when it repeats itself God is glorified and this is worship God usually chooses to work with simple things and we see that in scripture time after time after time you know man's idea is that God would come in different ways but God picks the most simple ways sometimes to reveal himself to bring his message and none could be more profound than that. 
to the shepherds the temple that they supplied the sheep for now became a place where sacrifice for their sins were offered at last all these mysteries the rites and ceremonies made sense for they had for they had found the promised lamb of god has god become personal and real and near to you Conceit, individualism, dominance, power. Let these things not be named among the children of God. This will hinder the message of Jesus, the Savior of the world. As I was thinking of that, you know, pride, most sin, or I should say maybe all sin, is a fruit of pride. So can all virtue be a fruit of humility. James 4 verses 7 through 10. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Verse 10, particularly. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and then you will be lifted up have you decided to be among those this Christmas season to be seeing Jesus you can if you humbly come like those shepherds those shepherds represented the best of all God's world word about the rewards and come to those that seek and find the Lord will you experience the glad tidings of the gospel and the great joy that can be yours there's a song in the Zion's praises number 111 you can turn there if you like I'm going to read the verses of that song I think they fit very well Thou didst leave thy throne and thy kingly crown when thou camest to earth for me. But in Bethlehem's home was there found no room for thy holy nativity. O come to my heart, Lord Jesus, there is room in my heart for thee. Heaven's arches rang when the angels sang, proclaiming thy royal decree. But of lowly birth didst thou come to earth and in great humil humility. O come to my heart, Lord Jesus, there is room in my heart for thee. The foxes found rest, and the birds their nest, in the shades of the forest tree. But, thou, but thy couch was the sod, O thou Son of God, 
in the deserts of Galilee. O come to my heart, Lord Jesus, there is room in my heart for thee. Thou camest, O Lord, with the living word, that thou set thy people free. But with mocking scorn and with crown of thorn, they bore thee to Calvary. O come to my heart, Lord Jesus, there is room in my heart for thee. When the heavens shall ring and the angels sing at thy coming to victory, let thy voice call me home, saying, Yet there is room, there is room at my side for thee. My heart shall rejoice, Lord Jesus, when thou comest and callest for me. I'm not sure who to give credit to for this, but it was in the Beside the Stillwater devotional book. And at the bottom of each devotional they have usually a one-line catchy phrase or a little quote. And one of the ones that I found, uh, that I saw, it says, God employs the simple tools, rejects the sophisticated fools. If you didn't catch that, I'll repeat it again. God employs the simple tools and rejects the sophisticated fools. <laughs> 